The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarian, communists, Islamist, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. Sons of Liberty Radio com and also sons of liberty media.com in fact if you're listening by way of red state talk radio <clears throat> excuse me and you'd like to uh, watch the video portion of the radio show that's right you can see the faces made for radio head over to sons of liberty media.com and you'll see two videos on the top of the page the one is Bradley show on the one on the left is Bradley show from Saturday two hours worth of Bradley Dean if you're interested in checking that out if you missed it um, that'll be there till 3 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern, and then he'll be live in that little area. And then on the right side of the page is where we're streaming now. Just click on the play button, blow it up on a, whatever device you've got, and then click on the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Join us in the chat over there. We're also streaming on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. 
on our Telegram channel at Sons of Liberty. We're on BeforeIt'sNews.com at the top of the page. And also DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. Uh, so you can catch us in all those places. But if you have a problem, look on one of your channels. And yeah, on my personal and uh, public page on Facebook, they're still allowing that. Even though they sent me a message saying I couldn't post, apparently the live feed's still going through there. So people are still on. I, I, Facebook's just gotten weird <laughs> telling you you can't post something. And yet you can. Um, so I don't know. And then some people get thrown into where they can't post anything. So I don't. I really don't understand what all they're doing over there. Uh, in any case, uh, we are out there on those too. So good morning to everybody in the chats. Good to see you guys. And then <clears throat> right up under where we're streaming live, there is a place where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Again, you get one of those a day. It comes in the evening, somewhere around between seven and eight, something like that. Usually is when it shows up. And then uh, if you want our ministry email. You can pick that up at sonsoflibertyradio.com. Right there off the front page, you're able to sign up for that. That's once a week, and you get those on Saturdays let you know what's going on in the ministry. Uh, you get Bradley's article and then whatever the special is this week. And we are providing the Necessity t-shirts out of our store this week. Um, and I forgot the promo code, but you'll save 15%. So I'll have that in the archive. I'll make mention of it tomorrow. It's all, That's good through Saturday at midnight, but we're, we're doing the Necessity t-shirts with the quote from uh, William Pitt the Younger. So if you're interested in those, comes in blue and black, I think, is the colors that we have those in. So uh, be looking for that. Also, if you agree with our message and you would like to help us, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or if you'd like to partner with us monthly, you can do that as well. And we appreciate all of your support. Um, real quickly, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. I want to play a few, a few videos. And then um, I want to talk about, you done me wrong. Some of you are probably reading that and going, this doesn't sound like one of Tim's titles. Yeah, well, been thinking about this one for a while, and uh, I think yesterday with, um, uh, you know, what we looked at at church out of Deuteronomy 28, <clears throat> just kind of spurned me on to thinking about this a little more, express some of that, because I sort of made mention of it the other day, that that that, that there may be a situation, maybe, not is, may be an issue, of a Matthew 18, and I kind of want to explain Matthew 18 for those who are not aware of it. Um, many are, but uh, I want to give it because I think this is a huge problem in the church, and I think it needs to be brought to the forefront. But before we do that, a couple of things. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this. Rome um, was on fire. They had some kind of a park that, that caught fire or something. At least that was the last I heard. Look at look at the smoke here. Now, you guys listening by the radio, I understand you can't see it. You're going, what smoke? Uh, you'll be able to see that in the archive later uh, today at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. But they had a tremendous fire over there um, yesterday. I believe it was yesterday that that was going on. Then there was this video that came out. And this is a superintendent. His name is Dr. Ziegler. I don't know where he is out of. If somebody lets me know that, if you happen to know. But I want you to hear what he says about... The education system, <laughs> he doesn't call it education. He says, we have a pretty robust indoctrination plan. Take a listen. Whoops. Uh, something brief. Uh, Dr. Ziegler, would you be interested in providing that to the community and back to school? Uh, everything that Mr. Mehevdi mentioned is part of the rollout plan. So we have a, a pretty robust indoctrination plan uh, ready to go. 
enculturation plan for this. Enculturation. Move into the new school year. So, thank you, Dr. Ziegler. I, I was just going by what the items were on the slide. So we have a, a pretty robust indoctrination plan. Uh, yes, indoctrination. Indoctrination. Now, again, this is something that Lynn and I, we've talked about, we talk about every Wednesday. This is where it goes to. It's not education. It's not teaching people how to think. It's not asking them questions, providing answers, getting them to think through things so they provide solutions. It is to indoctrinate them. We're going to give you information. You're going to regurgitate that. We'll give you a little piece of paper. Ta-da! You're indoctrinated. Okay? That's what that is. It's not teaching them how to, to learn for themselves because the fact of the matter is we're always learning. There's no doubt about that. But uh, there's a foundation for that. In large part, this is why we do a catechism with the kids. And I, I took you through that. I don't know. It's been a couple of years ago that I talked about where the term cate catechism comes from. It comes right out of the New Testament where Paul is, he uses the term catecheo. And the idea is an asking of question, a giving of an answer. And the thing is to spur children on to get into the Bible themselves, to dig those things out themselves, and, and to learn and to, to understand how to learn. But yet, here we have, we got a per, pretty robust indoctrination plan. And don't think that every public school isn't indoctrinating children, because they are. And they're indoctrinating them with a worldview and with a religious view, but it is a religious view without a creator. Okay, that's what we've been doing for decades in this country, a religious worldview that we call education, which is really indoctrination, which is really a religious system without a creator. OK, all right. Now, this one is the only reason I'm going to play this um, and it's five or six minutes, I think. Um, the only reason I'm going to play this one is because Elon Musk is such, you know, his name's out there and I, it's probably going to be a bloodbath for Twitter when the markets open this morning, uh, because now we've got Elon Musk, you know, pulling out of his Twitter deal that he that he drummed up there. And um, yeah, this is from uh, Greg Reese, and he seems to do some some pretty good little short little clips of stuff. Anyway, I want to play this for you. This is called The Truth About the Real Elon Musk. Take a listen. Pop culture has touted Elon Musk as some sort of Hang on. ...of eccentric heavyweight genius with humble beginnings. But this is demonstrably false. Elon Musk was born in South Africa, where he claims he grew up extremely poor. But his family owned an emerald mine. As a teenager, Elon would trade emeralds for cash in New York City. And his father bragged how they had so much money, we couldn't even close our safe. Musk claims to have had about $100,000 of student loan debt but he received a full scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania, where he bought a 10-bedroom frat house with his friend Adeo Resi and ran an illegal nightclub. The pop culture claim is that Elon has an IQ of 155, but this has never been tested. And after being accepted into Stanford for PhD studies, he dropped out after two days. After dropping out, Elon began his first business venture with his brother Kimball, Zip2, which was essentially a digital version of the Yellow Pages. The brothers received tens of thousands of dollars from their parents, and yet Elon denies this. An associate of Elon's father, Greg Curry, got involved to bring in investors. But Elon's code was no good, so they had to hire on professional coders to rewrite everything. 
The Zip2 was then sold for $307 million to Compaq, who later shut it down without ever earning a profit. Elon made $22 million, bought a $1 million McLaren F1 supercar, which made mainstream news, before he totaled the uninsured vehicle. Musk then went on to create an online bank, X.com. He partnered with banking expert Harris Fricker, Edward Ho, and Christopher Payne. All three ended up leaving the company after accusing Elon of lying to the media about the quality of their product. Elon claims he founded PayPal. Before the company was named PayPal, it was known as Confinity. It was founded in 1998 by Peter Thiel and Max Levchin. After losing millions of dollars, Elon's X.com was bought by Confinity in a merger in 2000. All Musk contributed at Confinity was his own power struggle. He made himself CEO and pushed to change the name to X.com. The executive team successfully petitioned to fire Musk while he was away on vacation. Part of Musk's resignation agreement stipulated that all references to founders of the company will be removed from their website, allowing Elon to claim credit, which so far is all he has ever achieved. Peter Thiel then rebranded the company as PayPal, went public, and sold to eBay for $1.5 billion. Elon made $180 million from the deal, which he then invested into Tesla, SpaceX, and failed company SolarCity. Elon falsely claims to be the founder of Tesla. Tesla was founded in 2003 by Mark Tarpening and Martin Eberhard, who developed the Tesla Roadster. When Tesla Motors began looking for venture capital, they approached Elon Musk, who had the fake credibility as PayPal's co-founder. Musk joined with the condition that he be named chairman of the board. In emails, Musk was upset that the media was not giving him credit for Tesla Motors and went after Martin Eberhard, replacing him as CEO. He then forced Eberhard out of the company and rewrote the company's history to have himself listed as an original co-founder. Martin Eberhard, the man behind the Tesla Roadster, was promised the first Roadster off the assembly line. But Musk screwed him over on that as well and sent that car into space. You can tell it's real because it looks so fake, honestly. <laughs> so who is Elon Musk? Elon describes his father as being an evil, abusive man. His father, Errol Musk, has been accused of being a pedophile and fathered a child with his stepdaughter who is 42 years younger than him. This spoiled, narcissistic failure, son of accused pedophile, wants to put computer chips in everyone's brain so that we can merge with artificial intelligence. His girlfriend is now bragging how this could all lead to a communist utopia. And strangely enough, former Nazi and head of NASA, Werner von Braun, predicted a man named Elon would conquer Mars in a 1952 novel that he wrote. Which is odd, because NASA has partnered with Elon SpaceX to work towards colonizing Mars. Elon Musk, like everything else in today's modern society, is a fraud, a fake genius, just like fake philanthropist Bill Gates and his fake vaccines. Brought to you by the fake news, Here's a pro tip for dealing with the mainstream media and all of pop culture. Assume it's a lie and research everything. For Infowars.com, this is Greg Reese. Mm. Well, there you go. I, you know, there's a lot. I, I got to tell you, there's a lot that, you know, we, we've covered some Elon Musk. Um, there's been some things where the guy has said some good things. 
But again, you go back behind the scenes and you see who he is. And so it's it's real it was really interesting to me. Not surprising, but it was interesting to me to see all these professed conservatives, Christians, constitutionalists, all giddy and excited. Oh, Elon's going to take over Twitter. He's going to give us our freedom back online. I mean, you could just hear the little squeals, the little girly squeals from the people who are talking about that and the way they responded to it. It's like, um, don't you know who this guy is? But these are the same people who get, you know, giddy over Donald Trump, too. And Donald Trump has a history that's kind of seedy like that, too. Yeah, he started with daddy's money, too. Okay? He's been bailed out by bankers. We've done a whole show on that. And the whole thing. So, it, it, this is what gr- people the, the people gravitate towards. And But you need to know who he is. And, you know, I'm glad uh, Mr. Reese here did this, did this little um, short thing on... Elon Musk, and we'll have that up in the archive so you can check it a little later at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Now, this morning, what I want to do is um, <clears throat> I want to go into Matthew 18. That's where we're we're going to be at. So if you guys, I know some of you guys, you know, take notes or whatever, um, it, we're going to be in Matthew 18. Now, Matthew 18 begins by Jesus addressing little you know the issue of little children and the fact that his own disciples and i'm going to move my microphone here just a little bit you guys will see some of that in the screen just so i'll be able to to read this but i want to read through it and make some comments on it and then bring the rest of scripture into what we're going to talk about now when some people talk about forgiveness they talk about forgiveness in this in the light of well we should just forgive everybody no matter what they've done, no matter if they keep doing what they're doing, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. We just, we, we got to forgive them. Now, on the one hand, what believers should have is they should always hold out forgiveness with an open hand. Okay? Just like the Lord does to us. He, open, he holds out forgiveness with an open hand. But there are, there, are, there are requirements there for that forgiveness, are there not? If we want to be forgiven of our sins, what do we got to do? We got to, we got to forsake them, right? We got to repent. We got to turn from them. And the same thing happens when we have sin one with another. When we have, and I'm talking about real lawlessness that we create between ourselves. We've got to be able to, one, address it, and then two, to hold out that forgiveness if the person is repentant. Okay? And uh, with that said, let me just take and give you the first few verses here, uh, because where I want to get into things is around verse 15, but there's a whole context that builds up to that because Jesus adds to this part that he's speaking here in the first few verses. So let's take a look at that this morning. Here's what he says. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Notice these guys. I mean... (laughs) Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you you can see different places in Scripture where they're all kind of, or many of them, not all, but many of them are looking right hand and left hand of Jesus. Uh, They want to be the greatest. Um, they, They want to exercise the power of Christ sort of in a fleshly way. Let us call down, you know, fire from heaven. We'll We'll deal with them, you know. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them 
and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as, a little, as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck, or about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Now, let me just make a real quick comment on that because some people say, well, wait a minute, are we supposed to cut our hands off? Are we supposed to pluck our eyes out? There have been men in church history who mutilated their bodies only to find out it didn't deal with their lust. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is that there's something that's causing you to be, uh, to sin, to violate God's law. You need to stay as far away from it as you can. You don't need to see how close you can get to it. You need to stay far away from it. Now, for different people, that might be different things, okay? For everybody, it's not the same thing. Some people are more tempted with one thing than they are something else. And so, here's the issue. He's saying, whatever you got to do get, to get away from that temptation, you do it. It's better for you to do that. If that means, I don't know, I had a friend who had a real problem with uh, social media, and his, his anger was coming out in that. And I'm like, you, you need to get off of that, dude. You, you need to get away from it. You, ha you have no business being on that. And he wouldn't listen until it, it went quite a ways, and then he got off of it. Um, it. For some people, it may be the computer, and some people, it may be going to certain places or whatever the case may be. You get away from it. Okay, So that's what he's saying. He's not saying, go mutilate your body. That's not what he's getting at. Okay, That's not what he's getting. But he said so, Tim. Okay, fine. You want to go pluck your eye out? Go knock yourself out. But that's not what Jesus said. Okay? All right. Now, picking up in verse 10, he says this. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, the little ones he's been talking about, the child who, who he's got there with him. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, Doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Alright? So, <clears throat> I gotta tell you, when I was a kid... My parents had these little books, and we got some of them for, for our kids when they were little, called Arch. There were Arch books. I don't know if that was the company that did them, did them, or it was Golden Books. I forget what it was. Some of you guys may be familiar with them. They were called Arch books. <clears throat> and what they did was, was they would take like a story like that. Okay, so you've got uh, the sheep and the 99, the shepherd and all this. 
My favorite story as a kid was the story of the lost sheep. And there was this shepherd named John. Jonathan, I think was it. He had this little red hat, looked kind of like an elf hat or whatever. And he's got these, these clothes on and that don't look like shepherd clothes. But anyway, he's taking care of the sheep. And it's based off this passage here. And it shows how the sheep gets away. And it starts to get dark, and the sheep falls into a hole, and all the wolves are around. And I remember all the little yellow beady eyes in the, in, the, uh, in the woods around the sheep as he's in the hole. And here's Jonathan. He goes out, and he's all scratched up and everything, and crawling through briars and all this stuff to go find this sheep. He's left the others in the pen. They're safe. And he comes, and he finds him. He gets him out of the hole. He throws him on his back, and he brings him back into the fold. And it's a wonderful picture. If any of you have been the prodigal son, like I was, um, <clears throat> and you have went out into the world and you've done your thing, and you find it was better in the Father's house, right? And you're ready to return. That's, that's the picture of what Christ does for us. The only reason we're returning is because, really, he's picked us up, thrown us on his shoulders, and he's brought us back into the fold with the Father. So this, <clears throat> that's just a little childhood memory that I have, but it's one that stuck with me, uh, because again, that was one of my favorite uh, stories to hear before bed, um, out of out of the uh, the many arch books that, that we had in our house. And we also had one about what happens later on in Matthew um, 18 here, when there is a forgiveness of debt that a servant can't pay his his master. And I forget what the name of that was, but but the story went, and we'll get to this in just a little bit, but the story went something like there was a king, he sat on a, a throne made of monkey pod wood, okay? And uh, so it was, it was very, it was very, I still remember all the little pictures in that book from when I was a little kid uh, and the stories that were told there. But he leads up to that, and then he brings in this. And <clears throat> I remember this was one of the first passages that was a sticky point when I became a Christian and, the, and, and, I, went, and I went into the church and I'm, I'm, I'm like dealing with people and they're always talking. They get into their praise and worship and they go, oh, we're two or three are gathering his name there. I'm in the midst. And they, they make it about praise and worship. Now, I'm not denying that he is in the midst when we praise him, uh, when we worship. I'm not denying that at all. But the text isn't talking necessarily about praise and worship, and we're going to look at that. So, verse 15. Moreover, so he talks about what happens. You know, if you've got, you got this thing that's going to cause you to sin, you get it away from you. All right? Then he says, he tells this story about the sheep. And then he says, moreover, if thy brother tre shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neg shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. That's the assembly of the people of God. That's what that is. It's not, you know, you can obviously do it in a local assembly. You tell it to the people of God what's going on. And if he will neglect, and if he, but, excuse me, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So do you see the context? How many of you have heard that? You know, you get to feeling good and you're singing your, your songs or whatever. And somebody, oh, Jesus is here in the midst. There's two or three are gathered, blah, blah. And they completely devoid of the context. The context is about bringing witnesses against the sinning brother. And where are you to bring them? Are you to take them out into the world? Nope. You're to keep that in the family. You're to keep that among the people of God. Now, here's what I see often, and it's, it's been this way for a long time. Somebody does some, somebody wrong, in, with who call, they both call themselves believers, and instead of going to that brother or that sister and trying to reconcile and giving space to repent, and if they don't repent, you come back with two or three others, and you bring witnesses together, and then you come in, and you do this you do this kind of thing what are you, what are you what are you trying to do you're trying to win your brother right you're trying to have reconciliation you're not trying to uh embarrass them or you would take it out in the world see and that's what the flesh does you take it out in the world the flesh does that the spirit doesn't do it okay now when you're, when you're in this process, and again, <clears throat> this idea of two or three witnesses is not anything new, is it? We see this in the Old Testament. We hear the reference of it over in the New Testament, not only here, but we, we hear by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter's established, right? Or the things are confirmed, okay? I remember a few years back, you know, it was a big thing, and it was a, it was a very terrible, heinous sin that had taken place. It, was, it, it had went beyond just a sin against God. It was a crime. <clears throat> and, but before police got involved or any of this kind of stuff, there was a, a, an attorney who just went out and started making these accusations. Well, godly men around the guy who was at the center of it went to him. You're right. You're right, Philly. There are people who will come just like Jesus had. They brought liars. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. But in today's, in today's society, we can ensure, for the most part, through recording or whatever we need to do in the matter, of what's actually going on there. And we can do it through documentation. Again, this is an idea that you are documenting things. For instance... One of the things I've been learning here over the past, I don't know, eight or nine months, is building a case. And it doesn't happen immediately. You have to do it through documentation. You have to write letters. You have to keep receipts. You have to do these kinds of things. Okay. In a Presbyterian form of government, which I know a little bit about as far as how they handle things, they want to see documentation. It's not just... Hey, you know, Tim said Philly was doing me wrong, and I did this and that and the other, and I can just make up all kinds of stuff. And Philly can say, no, no, that's not how it went, and, and these kinds of things. Okay, that's, that's not all that goes on here. There, there, is a, there is a documentation of what's going on. There's not just witnesses. We verify what, what's taking place. So, what does he tell us? 
Well, the first thing is, is that a brother has trespassed against you. So I have a problem with my brother because of something he's done to me, something he's said against me, or whatever the case may be. I am to go to him alone, privately. How many of you like somebody yelling and screaming at you or calling you out in the midst of a bunch of people and pointing their finger at you and getting loud and saying, oh, it's embarrassing, isn't it? And you want to get away from it. You want to have not, even if it's true, you want nothing to do with it. Even if you would be reconciled. Nobody wants to have that done. So Jesus says, you go to them in private. You say, look, man, this happened. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember it. Well, this happened, and I said, it was, you really overstepped the bound. Either you're lying about this, you gossip, you did this, that, and the other. You name the, the, the trespass that you see. You go to that person, and you let them know that. Now, if the person has a tender heart, they're going to go, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. And they acknowledge their sin, and they're repentant there before you. Then you're to forgive them. And you're to be reconciled with them. And you know what? That's a good thing because you go away. Both of you have been reconciled. You're, you're, you're full of joy that you've reconciled because anybody who's been in that situation knows your stomach gets in knots. You're uncomfortable with having to deal with that. It's, it's, everybody would like more to get along, as Paul says, to keep peace rather than have confrontation. Okay? But... If that person is going to be pig-headed, okay, then what do you do? Well, first I would say you give them space to repent. See if God will use what was said. You pray for them. You give them space to repent. That might be a week. That might be a month. Whatever the case may be. There's nothing here that says anything about a, the, the specific space of time or anything like that. Give them time. Let, the, let, let that work on them and pray that God will bring conviction and possibly they might be repentant and come to you. If they don't, you are to bring another person or two so that you've got two or three witnesses here. Okay? You go and you tell them again. Again, you're doing this in private with these witnesses that you brought. You're not doing it out there in the open. You're not doing it out there in the world. If they hear you, you win your brother, right? You're just showing them, look, we're serious about this and what we're going to do. And our desire is that there be reconciliation. If they won't hear them, then you're going to tell it to the church. Now, the idea is there's going to be elders there. Now, this goes back to the Old Testament where the elders were in the gates and they were the judges. And when, there, when a matter arose, what did they do? They brought the matter to the elders. So there is, you know, one of the instances is if, if a man's daughter, if she's found out to be playing the whore, right, in Israel, um, it's, not the, it's not the city who comes and just takes her on. No, no, no. It starts with dad. And dad is going to be one to call her to repentance. And if she doesn't want to repent or whatever, he can make the decision to take it to the elders and make it a civil matter. Okay. Jurisdiction of the home starts first in those matters. He's to take that, that daughter, if that's the case, and he knows what the end result's going to be. The Bible says that he's to take that to the elders. The elders are to bring her to the door of her father's house, and they're to stone her. But it starts with that. 
And any dad, I would think, would have compassion on his daughter to seek to call her to repentance. Okay? If she's repentant, good. Fine. If she's not, he has the option to make a civil matter of it. And that's just, that's the way it's laid out. But that's dad's, that's dad's charge, okay, to do. So they come there to the church, and they're going to bring the witnesses. They're going to bring the evidence that's there. And if the person's going to be there who's, who they've been dealing with, you know, they have, a, they have a say too. That would be like a court that's held there. In fact, this is where we get some understanding of that within the Presbyterian form of government, is right out of Scripture, of how that's laid out. So, it tells us that if you tell it to the church and the man still is unrepentant, this is where we get the term excommunicate. Okay, that's not just a Roman Catholic, you know, Roman, that's usually tied to Roman Catholicism because of, of how they proceed in that. But it's a cutting off. It's a cutting off. It says, in fact, it says, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. <laughs> Think about that a second. Let's see if we can pick that out for today. Let him be as pick your favorite hedonist pagan in the world or your CPA or your IRS agent or whatever the case may be. Okay? That's what, it, that's what it's saying. Publicans were despised because they, not only were they agents of the state, they were ripping the people off by charging them more than what they owed. Okay? So they were considered... This is why the story of Zacchaeus is so incredible, because when Jesus goes to his house, how does Zacchaeus respond? Well, he responds in true repentance. He says, whoever I've taken anything from, I will restore fourfold. That is a fulfillment of the law for thieves. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because Zacchaeus was so repentant that he said, I'll, I'll get all my money, my stuff together, whatever, and everybody that I know of that I took something from, I'm going to give them fourfold back. It was wrong of me to do it. That's, that's a regenerate heart. That's a change in the person. Okay, That's fruit of repentance, if you will. So you do that. Okay, so then Jesus comes down and he says, he's tying the two or three gathered together. He's, he's tying, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it's going to be done. When we read the model prayer, when the disciples came to Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, pray in this manner. And one of the things he prays is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does Jesus say in this? When you do it, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So whatever they're doing on earth, the Father in heaven is doing. He's agreeing with them. Okay, He's agreeing with them on those things. And the two or three are gathered there. You are actually engaged in bringing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. When you do this. Now some of you may be thinking, you know, I got a brother that has done me wrong, and I just can't look at him. I'm so angry. Well, first you need to deal with yourself. Because what happens is, over time, that anger doesn't stay anger. It turns into bitterness. 
to where you just can't even look at them. You don't even want to hear their name. Now, who is that hurting? It's hurting you. It's hurting you. It really is. And so you have to deal with that first. But you're going to have to bring yourself, if you're going to follow Jesus, okay, you have to bring yourself to the point where you can say, I've got to go confront this, and I've got to, I've got to deal with it. That's right, David, it does. It turns to hate. Bitterness is usually before that. <laughs> so that's dealing with that. And then here's Peter, right? He, he wants to clarify here, well, wait a minute now. Um, I, I, you know, I might can do this once. I, I, you can almost see the wheels turning in Peter's head because he throws up this number, right? Verse 21, this is what he says. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Now, again, Peter's this rough fisherman. You know, he's, he, he's got a bit of a foul mouth. We, we see that later on that, you know, what comes out of him and everything else. He, he thinks he's tougher than he is. And Peter's like, yeah, man, if somebody does me wrong, you know, they're going to get a knuckle sandwich. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times? Does that mean, because he's trying to get a number on Jesus so that he can say, there's a point where I can cut that off and I don't have to forgive him. Right? You can see it. And a lot of you out there may be thinking the same thing. But Jesus has an answer for that. And he says this. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times but until 70 times 7. 70 times 7. 490 times. Well, Jesus, if I, if I keep a record and I do 490 times, on the 490th time, I get to tell him, nope, I'm not forgiving you. Is that what he's saying? No. What he's trying to lay out to him is, quit keeping score. Quit keeping score. And then he gives an, he gives an example of this. Okay, he gives an example of this in the following verses. Look at verse 23. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. So the king keeps the, king keeps the records, right? He, he knows what his servants owe him, and he keeps the records. And verse 24, he says, And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so this is like... Anybody ever been in debt? Anybody ever been in debt to where you went to bankruptcy? Now, I've never been in bankruptcy, but excuse me, I'm itching here. I've never been in bankruptcy, but anybody ever been in that situation? Or you've just owed so much you can't even make the payments and stuff? This is far worse than that. This is like you'll never be able to pay for it, this servant here. 10,000 talents, ton of money. I was looking it up, and I, I forgot exactly uh, what the exact amount is, and now I've done lost my place that I was going to bring in uh, a quote here. Um, ah, I don't know how I missed it. Okay, let me see if I can back up here, because it, um, it was a lot of money. Uh, one writer says, uh, Based, uh, excuse me, it says, uh, based on those on the figures that were given, and we know from historical documents at the time, it had been determined that the total annual revenue collected by the Roman government from Idumea, uh, Judea, 
Samaria, and Galilee was about 900 talents. Okay. So from all of those provinces, and when they collected, you know, their their taxes, the Romans only collected 900 taxes. This guy owes 10,000 talents. They that that was 900 talents. So it's ridiculous. Okay. Based on those those figures, 10,000 talents amounted to more than 11 years of taxes from those four provinces. From the Old Testament, we learned that the total amount of gold given for use in the temple was just over 8,000 talents. That's 1 Chronicles 29, verses 4 and 7. And the weight of gold which came into Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. That's from 1 Kings 10, verse 14. So this is a tremendous amount of money this servant owed. I, I, don't, I wouldn't even know how he would get into debt with the king that much. I did. What king is giving his servant 10,000 talents or whatever the equivalent of that would be with interest to pay back? But nevertheless, Jesus used it as a story. I don't, I don't think he's, he's doing it as this, was, this really happened. He's giving it the story to make, to make a point. Okay, So here's what he says. One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, but forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now that sounds pretty harsh. Wait a minute. He's selling him? Well, he's one of his servants. And people need to understand, there is a form of slavery that was, that was, that was taken into account. In other words, if a man had a debt... He could make himself a slave under the person that he owed a debt for, and he would work off what he owed to that person. He was that person's slave, servant. Servant sounds a little nicer than what it is. He's a slave to it. This is why debt is a curse. We become a slave to the things we're indebted in. I told you this a year or two ago about my house. Yeah, we need a house to live, but I'm a slave to that thing because I have to go to work to to do that. It is not the joy of working a garden and providing for the home and doing all these. We become slaves to these things. Okay? So in this instance, it wasn't just him. He was dragging his wife. He was dragging his children into this, and everything he had was going to be taken from him. And the, and the restitution made. How does he respond? Verse 26. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. I mean, come on. Can you see this guy in tears, leaping with joy, that this debt that was going to enslave him, enslave his wife, enslave his children, he was going to lose everything he had, now all of a sudden that weight is off his back. Pretty, pretty amazing forgiveness. Kind of reminds you of how the Lord forgives us. We have a debt we cannot pay. And every time we try to pay it ourselves by quote-unquote trying to be good, we just... Add more judgment on ourselves. Add more wages of sin amounting up to death, as the Bible says. But 
Martin Luther wrote this about this passage. He said, before the king drew him to account, he had no conscience. I mean, he's he's 10,000 talents in debt. He's not even concerned about the debt that he has and probably seeking to amass more debt. Luther says he has no conscience, does not feel the debt, and would have gone right along, made more debt, and cared nothing about it. But now the king reckons with him. He begins to feel the debt. So it is with us. The greater part does not concern itself about sin, goes on securely, fears not the wrath of God. Such people cannot come to the forgiveness of sin, for they do not come to realize that they have sins. They say, indeed, with the mouth they have sinned, but if they were serious about it, they would speak far otherwise. This servant, too, says, Before the king reckons with him, so much I owe to my lord, namely ten thousand talents. But now that the reckoning is held and his lord orders him, his wife, his children, and everything to be sold, now he feels it. See, this is what, it, this is what happens when you, when you preach the law, when you put the law on them, on people. They feel, the, they feel the weight of the law. He goes on and he says, So too we feel in earnest when our sins are revealed in the heart, when the record of our debts is held before us. Then we exp- exclaim, I am the most miserable man. There is none as unfortunate as I on the earth. Such knowledge makes a real humble man work contrition so that one can come to the forgiveness of sins. What is the thing the Bible says? God won't turn away a person who has a broken and contrite spirit, will he? That's what he's seeking for. He's seeking for men to be broken over their sin so that they might find a savior from sin. See, until you shut your mouth about justifying your your lawless deeds, your lawless thoughts, your lawless intents of your heart, the lawless things that come out of your mouth, until you be quiet and say, you know what, I'm guilty. Have mercy on me, Lord. Until, you're, until that mouth is stopped justifying lawlessness, you're going to continue on in it. And if you never feel the weight of the 10,000 talent wages of sin that you've accumulated, you will continue to seek to make more debt. You'll be building up Judgment for the day of judgment. That's what you'll be doing. And the law is there to show us just how indebted we are to the Lord on that. And God is not like a man who can be bought off. No, no, no. He, he, no. He, that's not the way it works. He is a just and holy God. And even to forgive us our sins, somebody's got to pay for those sins. This is where the Lord Jesus comes in. He's the one that says, I, I, I have taken care of this sin, Father. I've taken care of this sin for Tim or David or Philly or whoever the case may be. I've taken care of that. Remember, I, I paid for that on the cross. And so there's a, there is the sense in which the person has to be under the weight of the law. This is what I think is so great about Pilgrim's Progress. He's, you see him carrying this, this bundle on his back that's bigger than he is, and he feels the weight of his sin. But when he comes to the gospel, I mean, he he goes by the mountain where the law was given, and the weight of the law is on him. He's trembling. He's fearful. But when he comes to the cross, 
what happens? He finds the one who can loose that burden and set him free. That's what it is to be born again. That is what it is to be made right with Christ. And so here's the, here's the other part. And by the way, I know we're getting close to the end of the show. I may go over just a couple of minutes, all right, just to finish up the chapter. Uh, but let's, let's pick up what this servant does before we do that. Verse, okay, so he, he forgave him his debt. Verse 27, verse 28, it says, But the same servant, the guy who has just forgiven this insurmountable debt that he'll never be able to pay in 10,000 lifetimes, okay, <laughs> he, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants. He owed him 100 pence. <laughs> this, is, this is like, he owed him a couple of dollars. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant did the same thing he did. He fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Whew. That's got a sting to it, man. That's got a sting. I mean, you talk about a hard-hearted servant. You would think he would be rejoicing and thankful, and he goes out and gets the guy by the neck his fellow servant, who owes him is nothing, nothing compared to what he was just forgiven. You can almost say he was driven by the love of money, couldn't you? And says, you pay me all that you owe. And the guy's like, give me time. Give me time and I'll do that. And he wouldn't do it. Now I'm going to hit on a couple of other things here. Just for a couple of minutes. I won't keep you long. But if you want to hear the rest of it, sonsoflibertymedia.com will be there, fortsnews.com, dlive.tv, at the Sons of Liberty. And um, Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll be back in the morning, Lord willing, at 6 a.m. Adios. Okay, want to welcome anybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And I'll try not to keep you guys long, but we, we did get through the, through the passage here. But I, I am wanting to bring it home so that we... We understand this because I believe the majority of people would at least profess to be Christian who listen to the Sons of Liberty. Now, I know some are not, and that's fine. That's okay. Keep listening. As we talked about yesterday in Sunday school, uh, you know, the idea that, that we hear the Word of God. Uh, Paul says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to believe it unless somebody preaches the message? Then what's the message? It's the Word of Christ, right? So these are the words of Christ. This is what he's saying. How we deal with one another, 
um, what that results in, what the goal should be. It should always be reconciliation because we're mirroring what God the Father has done for us in Jesus Christ. He, Christ has reconciled us back to God. Therefore, we can cry unto him, Abba, Father, right? So he's, he's done that. So we're mirroring that when we are the ones who are uh, doing this, when we're, when, we're, when we're trusting the Lord in what he says. Sometimes it doesn't feel, it may not feel right to try to go this route and do these things, but it's the right thing to do. And here's, here's some other passages. Just for those of you who write down things and you want to go and look a little further, I think there's probably enough here in Matthew 18 to, to keep you busy if you, if you want to just ponder those things. I know it is for me. And I'll just tell you, this was one of the things I learned early on as a young Christian. And I didn't know how important this would be. But we had a, uh, in, the, in one of the churches I was at, we had a deacon who was running around with another deacon's wife. And nobody was doing anything about it. What's interesting is the deacon who was running around with the other deacon's wife, I had been in, um, I, I can remember it, I was sitting near the back pew after church one night, and I was talking with somebody about this passage. I said, I keep hearing these people in the midst of their praise and worship do the, the two or three are gathered thing, right? And I said, but it isn't about that at all. It's about their, their discipline. They're, they're trying to reconcile these, these people together, these brothers together. And this is what they're talking about. It sounds like they're having a court. Now, I, I was very ignorant of a lot of things, but I said, that's what it looks like is going on to me. So this deacon... His wife came back and she goes, well, we don't need the sin police running around here. And I said, well, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to police people for sin. I got m enough of my own to deal with I gotta, you know, that I'm sorting out. But I said, I am dealing with this passage and what, what's coming from some of these people who are singing and doing all this stuff. It was her husband who was doing this. And the thing that needed to be done was there needed to be discipline. Now, in his case, it was open and it was rebellious. Okay, he was attacking people in the church over it, and it, it was rebellious. And what needed to happen was what Paul told the Corinthians needed to happen. I think it was First Corinthians chapter six. When you get together, you kick that guy out. You excommunicate him. You turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul might be saved. That's what he said to do. So, with that said, there are other places where we see. The issue of forgiveness come up among the people of God. Okay, Ephesians four thirty two. This is, I mean, this is one of those that I always keep in my mind. Um, be kind to one another. Ten, not nice. That's a that's a word we need to repent of too. <laughs> I told you, nice. Go look it up. I mean, ignorant. That's what it means. So if you're gonna, if you say, I'm just trying to be nice, are you trying to be ignorant? Is that what you're really trying to be? Well, no. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean, but this is the, what we've been taught. This is why we need to repent of language that we use. And I look, I've, I've been guilty of it too. Yeah, it's the sin police. That's what she said. Like, I'm going to go run around looking for people sinning so that I can somehow lord it over them. We, we shouldn't be doing that. If you're a person who does that, you're, you've fallen into the trap of being a Pharisee, not of following the Lord Jesus. But if something's very apparent there, you have to deal with it. And preferably... You deal with it the way you would want it be dealt with with you. You deal with that in private. All right? Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. Listen to this one. This one comes from Mark eleven twenty five. In this one, you say, oh, you got something against your brother, right? So you go deal with him. Well, what about if the brother has something against you and you know it? Well, what do you do with that? Mark eleven twenty five. Because you can say, well, that's his business. If he's supposed to come to me, he's supposed to do that, and I'm not going to deal with him, and you can give all the excuses you want, but the Bible rebukes that too. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. We're also told that if we come to the Lord with a gift, and we're going to worship Him, and we remember that our brother has something against us, leave that gift. God doesn't want it. Go make it right with your brother. Then you can come back and give the gift. But you go make it right with your brother. You know your brother's ticked off. You know he's aggravated at you for something you did. And you don't care because you go, oh, he should follow Matthew 18. No, no, no. You've got to go. You, you go make it right with him. Then you come give your gift. See, there isn't a way out of this. We, we can't say, oh, there's just not a thing I need to do. No, we need to pursue that. We need to pursue reconciliation. Now, sometimes that's not going to manifest. And we're going to have to treat him like a heathen or a publican. Sometimes they're going to have to be cut off from the church. I remember there was a, the previous church that we were at, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was there. They had a young lady, if I remember the story correctly. If, I, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm off on that, I do know that it happened. Okay, They had a young lady who was involving herself with the Mormon church. And instead of coming to the church she was at. And so they began to talk with her, and she would not listen, and they excommunicated. They cut her off. And the girl fell into some really bad stuff there with that, came back, was repentant, told the church what she had done, acknowledged her sin, asked for forgiveness, and they restored her. Praise God for that. Now she had to go through some stuff, just like the guy in, in Corinth. You know, it, it appears that by the time you read 2 Corinthians, that man that they kicked out for messing around with his daddy's wife, okay, that he was repentant. That's what we're seeking. We're not seeking to get brownie points because, again, sin police, you know, we do these kinds of things. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to honor the Lord. How does the, Jesus say that we should, how will the world know that we are his disciples? By our love for one another. And love corrects. It doesn't just let people go on. It corrects. It confronts. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. I've had many of those experiences where it was uncomfortable for me. Not only on the confrontation side, but on the being confronted side. It's very uncomfortable. But in the end, it was done out of love to bring reconciliation. That's the point. And here's the thing. We're familiar with 1 John chapter 1. If we can, Now look, John's very clear. We don't go on practicing sin. It is not a way of life for the believer to sin. It's just not. But he says if we do sin, and he's not talking about a practice. He's talking about if we commit a sin, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what is the key there? There is confession, there's repentance, right? Confession and repentance. Matthew 6, chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Stop and think about that a second. Part of the model prayer that Jesus gives, Lord, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? What's the corollary there? Do you want forgiveness from God for your sin? For your trespasses? Well, you better be forgiving your brother when they trespass against you, right? And you understand the the context of that. There's going to be repentance on their part. You hold that forgiveness out to them, but there's going to be there's got to be that uh, on them. Then we have Colossians three verses thirteen or verse thirteen, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Yeah, thank you for that, Mr. Wordsworth. Proverbs 27.5, I was talking about that, doing it you know, um, in, in a quiet. Sometimes there is a place for open rebuke is better than secret love. You're, you're exactly right. And the Bible talks about that when we have those who teach error in the pulpit. You're to rebuke them publicly. Okay? But we're just talking about dealing with brothers. We bring these things up. And in the midst of this, What are we saying? That there is forgiveness that's available. Our end goal is that we might glorify God in what we're doing. It is not to put ourselves on a high horse. It is not to put our brother beneath us. It is to be reconciled together. It is to bring glory to God. Now, is it natural for us to want to forgive? Mm -mm. It's natural for us to want to go grab the other person by the scruff of the neck and say, pay me what you owe me, right? Or give it up, dude. Tell everybody what you did. That's the natural man. That's what the natural man wants to do. But the person born of the Spirit of God, they want to do what God has said. They want to do what God has said. They want to be obedient to Him. And if you won't be obedient to Him concerning forgiveness, don't expect that God has forgiven you. Oh, Tim, that... Are you saying I could lose my salvation? No. People who 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 are actually born again will remain believers. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't believe in the once saved, always saved doctrine that comes out today. That's completely different. Ask Jesus in your heart, which isn't biblical. Walk and I'll get baptized. All this kind of stuff to say, now you're saved. You should never question your salvation, blah, 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 all this stuff. No, don't buy that at all. Because the Bible also tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We should always be examining ourselves and seeing what is God doing in our minds, in our hearts, and in, in our deeds, in our relationships with each other and things. What is He doing out of us? Is, it, is there fruit of repentance? If there isn't, we might need to question whether or not we've been born again. But if Christ has done something in you, guess what? He's the author of your faith. 
The Bible says he's the finisher of your faith, and he's the one who works all the stuff in between, including these things that we've talked about today. Because the Bible also says it is he who works in you both to will. Don't give me the free will stuff. He works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's what he does. He does that in us. Because our life is not our own, it is Christ who lives in us. And with that said, I want to close out with that. If you're a person who doesn't know the forgiveness of God, the first thing you've got to do is come to terms with the fact that you have sinned. Look at God's law. Have you stolen? Have you coveted? Have you uh, committed? I mean, the, the Ninth Commandment is about really committing perjury. Have you borne a false witness about somebody? Have you gossiped about somebody? Have you killed somebody? Or have you had hate in your heart towards somebody? That's the beginning of it. Jesus said it's murder. That happens in your heart. Have you lusted after somebody? That's the adultery that starts in the heart. You committed adultery, stolen, killed, dishonored your parents. Any of those first things had other gods before God, the true God, made graven images, took the Lord's name in vain, and no, that's not GD. That's not what it is. His name's not God. That's his title. If you took his name in vain, you've, you've called yourself a Christian, but you behaved otherwise. Friend, the Bible calls you to repentance. If you desire mercy, you can have it, but you're going to have it at God's terms. God calls you to repentance, faith in the Lord Jesus. And you say, well, Tim, what do I got to do? I just told you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Stop sinning. I leave God to deal with each individual as they are. I don't lead people in prayers. I used to do that. I was taught to do that stuff. I don't see any of that in Scripture. When men are convicted of their sin, they cry out to God with whatever words they have to cry out with. It can be as simple as, like the publican who was in the temple, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. You want that mercy, you can have it, but you have it coming on his terms. I hope, I hope the, that what I've said today has been helpful because, boy, we need that today. The world and the church, sadly, are trying to divide the people of God. And what happens is, is we get so inundated with ourselves. Oh, they did that to us. Oh, they said that about us. And instead of being humble and realizing, hey, wait a minute, I was saved out of that kind of slavery. And it is slavery. Unforgiveness is, is, is slavery. It will eat you alive. The blessings are found in being obedient unto what the Lord says. And uh, I, hope, I hope that's helpful to you guys. Anyway, Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See you.